0: Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and I'm excited to have Matt Bennett here with me today. So welcome, Matt.
1: Good. How are you doing this morning?
0: Awesome. Wonderful. It's a beautiful day in Cincinnati, so yay.
1: Excellent. I was just in your neck of the woods uh, working with Cincinnati Health Network uh, a few weeks ago. So uh, I enjoyed a great trip to your city. So. Oh,
0: thank you. That's that's great. Uh, so your your rolling you know, the trauma-informed world. I love that I saw on your website, or no, it was through your email that you sent to me. Trauma-informed everything. I think <laughs> fantastic.
1: <laughs> yes. I, I'm still trying to search for an arena um, that this information around the ACE study and just what we've learned about neurobiology and epigenetics, where that doesn't help inform our thinking. So, uh uh, it's so fun to make a career out of something that I think is is such a paradigm shift in uh, basically any aspect of our society where where folks are struggling. So uh, I try to find where the world might need me and my energy and uh, try to provide good tools for folks working in that area.
0: I love it. And so you do you have a podcast, you're really you've written a book. you have another book coming out this month. Um, yeah. You have a blog. I love the name of your blog, your trainer, speaker. I, I mean, that's wonderful. I love that. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I, I've just been really uh, uh, blessed uh, to, to make my passion my, my livelihood. So I, I have to pinch myself every once in a while because sometimes <laughs> getting on and off planes seems like an exhausting uh, treg. Uh, and then I, I just remind myself and pinch myself that people uh, fly me around the country to talk about my passion. So right. that any, any little burnout I feel or exhaustion goes away pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and we talked just a, a minute before we started recording about that, you know, you define that soul, that soul purpose, and Absolutely. oh my gosh, you can't help but just be excited about it. So.
1: Absolutely, and how fortunate are we to to do the work that we do?
0: Absolutely, I have a regular day job, I own another business, and um, that's in a totally different world unrelated to this, And the, but this, oh my gosh, I could do this, I do it all the time, like, you yeah. know, the editing, and the recording, and the writing, and the newsletter, and all of that it doesn't feel like work.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, there's always another challenge too. That's, that's what <laughs> I love about it. If you think you're an expert on the brain, you've got some reading to do. Oh, uh, for sure. It's so, it's so humbling at the same time. And I just, I, I, I just kind of look out at which mountain of knowledge do I need to climb next uh, to bring resources and tools and, and boy, to live a life like that. I, I'm just so right. fortunate.
0: For sure. So talk to us about the book that you have coming out. It's uh trauma informed in relation to early childhood education, correct? Or early have, childhood.
1: Absolutely. So um th- this book emerged. I had just published uh uh I have a little supplement follow-up called Talking About Trauma and Change that that really was all the analogies uh that i i love analogies like i think there's acronym people and there's analogy people and i'm i'm definitely on board with with the analogies and you know some of my first readers for connecting paradigms which you want to do a nerdy subtitle a a trauma-informed and neurobiological approach to motivational interview (laughs) and implementation my editor said nobody's going to read a book subtitled that and then she read the book is like it's exactly what you wrote so keep keep the title Uh, So, so i would written this and I had packed it with my analogies and some of my editors have, were coming back to say, hey, there's, there's windows, there's elephants, there's cups, and, and you just got to take some of these out. So, so a lot of the things that I really use in my trainings to, to really simplify a lot of complex science just kind of fell the cutting room floor. So I gathered all these together in a book and really the, the book wasn't the big thing. I wanted to really create an audio book so people could could play these different chapters as part of group uh therapy or even individual work as well um so they didn't have to memorize all this but they could easily play it and then there's discussion questions so uh my wife and i were actually uh sitting in the denver airport which i know you have family in, in yes, denver as well so, yeah. so you're, you're uh, familiar with our airport a little bit uh, yeah. and uh we, we were kind of talking we were kind of toasting her birthday toasting uh uh, my, uh, my, my, I call it my, my 1.5, uh, book that, that came out. And, uh, <laughs> we, we talk, we start talking about, you know, what, what, what I was going to do next. Cause if you don't occupy my time, I go crazy. And, uh, you know, every night after school, she's a first grade teacher. So she comes home and we talk about her kids that, that are struggling. And, you know, the more I started to learn about trauma and stress and attachment and epigenetics you know, our our conversations got deeper and deeper. And, you know, we we kind of looked, you know, it's great because you can pull out your phone and, you know, that we couldn't really find a, there's some great books on um, uh, elementary, trauma-sensitive elementary school, a little bit on early education, but um, we couldn't find any kind of from the teacher perspective. So um, we we wrote a book through her voice about how uh, early education, uh, elementary school, uh, teachers and school staff can really identify students that are working, that are struggling with trauma. Hopefully, again, that that ACE question—not what's wrong with this kid—that not right. label them the bad kid, but what what's happening to this kid. And hopefully, we make a good argument for why we need those mental health resources. I, I, I like to say, not only in our schools, we need to get them into our classrooms. People like me with the the therapist background—we got to get our butts out of our offices and be real resources to teachers. So it, we, we go through about creating uh, what, what's happening to these kids, um, again, and then how to create trauma-sensitive classrooms, schools, and then we, we kind of end the book on one of my, 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 I think, most important topics in our time is uh, self-care, and creating healthy uh, school environments in, in this context. So um, it's in the final stages. It's it's ninety nine plus percent done any day. Um, hopefully it'll it'll be up on uh, Amazon soon. So that's
0: awesome. I'm finishing up a manuscript, so I get it. And congrats and
1: <laughs> it <goes to> you. <laughs> it feels so good when you can say finishing up. And it's, right. I'm sure you get this. People ask me how long it take you to write the book and. You know for connecting paradigms it was eighteen months and eighteen years both. That, yes. That's my that's yes. my answer. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and you know, coming back to what you just said, I, I worked in a mental health agency in um, Cincinnati area and I was assigned to different schools and oh my gosh. The teachers would just reach out to me constantly saying, you know, what how do I help these kids? What do I do? I mean they they just were overwhelmed and frustrated because they knew a lot of them knew this kid is either currently in a trauma environment, yeah. um, with poverty or, you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse in the home. Um, and, or they had experienced it and they knew it and they, right. the children were, you know, and again, so we would talk about, you know, things that they could do. But at the time when I was in that situation, there just wasn't a lot available and so your book is just a godsend to teachers I mean
1: just yeah, yeah. I really I really hope and, and hopefully it gives us you know because I always have teachers when I do school trainings you know come up to me and says hey I, I'm, I'm one teacher I've got I've got 30 third graders five of these kids are throwing chairs every day how, how can I both regulate their their behaviors while teaching the rest of my class and it's like you really can't. I I mean, I wish I could, uh, my my, my joke answer to all these really hard problems is I wish the answer was just more vitamin D supplements everybody could take. But we really need to rethink about how we support teachers, Um, you know, para support in the classroom, mental health support in the classroom. Um, My real hope is that we put out a good argument for why that investment in our children is going to pay off. Many times. Let's let's invest in schools so we don't have to keep building prisons Um, and and invest in the kids that that something's happening to them. And I like to compare trauma and the neurobiological, physiological injury to like an athletic injury. And if if a running back in football breaks their leg, um, but they get treatment right away, they're probably going to bounce back pretty good. But if they don't get treatment for 10 years – they can still heal but but they're going to suffer a lot more. They're going to walk around with those symptoms of that broken leg and too many of the the folks that I come across in my work in homelessness and addiction and healthcare um were those kids that that were just labeled the bad kid instead of getting the real the real help that they they needed. So I hope we can add something to that, that crucial conversation.
0: Yes, absolutely. And see, brilliant analogy because I mean,
1: there you go. I told you, I told you, I can't spell an acronym, but I've got my analogies.
0: (laughs) I love it. And one of the things again, that just popped into my head, you know, being in a classroom and for for whatever reason, I back in time to this, you know, first grade classroom and talking to a teacher. And um, one of the little girls was coming to see me and, she was so surprised by that because she was like, she's so good and she's so quiet and she's just like that perfect little student. And so I would make sure to remind teachers that it's not just that kid that's acting out because a lot of these children can shut down on themselves and, and try to be so perfect because they're so afraid of, you know, the consequences that may come. And so their, their children can respond in so many different ways to trauma.
1: Absolutely. You can, as I like to say you can start with those, go by the principal's office. That that will get you your first kids you probably need to work with. But, uh, you know, we can't. I, I just think back to my own school experience, which is longer and longer ago now. It's just the kids that always seem to fade into the background. That, yeah. that you know, in high school, I always remember these kids that always had, whether they were walking down the hall or in class, they were always had their nose in a book. Like they were they were just so good at hiding. And I think A lot of uh, those kids, like you mentioned, can fly under uh, the radar as well. And if we're again, if we don't have that trauma lens on, um, we'll we'll miss them because the kids throwing the chairs will get all of our uh, all of our attention. So we got some work to do. But but I I hope we're uh, like people like you and the work you're doing, and all of us out there doing the the work around aces and trauma every day. Boy, it's so fun to watch this information just. I can't believe we're in schools like I I'm so excited that schools now call me up to talk like that what a cool police force is like it's just so cool where this information is is spreading and transforming areas of our society
0: yes I love it and again thank you for doing it because it's needed and having been there I know it so yeah wonderful so any any myths or facts that you would like to clarify for listeners either around
1: aces or trauma great question um boy where, where to go with that one <laughs> I guess the, the one I'll, I'll pull a little bit uh kind of coming from the side with that question answer, and and it's one of the things I really try to tackle in connecting paradigms um because I really built the, the whole this is just how my like like I said one books at a bar at Denver International Airport the other one is I woke up one morning and I'm a big motivational interviewing fan if if your audience isn't familiar with it's a cognitive behavioral approach, uh, to help people change behavior. So you know, a lot of folks that, that working in homelessness, I do some work in HIV, like these people are facing multiple major life changes. Right. And so I kind of woke up one morning. It's like, I've trained on both of these things. It's like, somebody's had to write a book on you know, how do we help people with the neurobiology of trauma? So the overactive sort of limbic system or the amygdala, you know, we can actually see the prefrontal cortex or that thinking part smaller in size. How do we help that brain contemplate and successfully manage bigger life, you know, changes than I've, I've been lucky enough. I've, I've never faced having to go from living on the street to, to permanent housing or, or trying to kick an opiate addiction. And, and a lot of these people have these multiple Things going on in their life, and uh, you know, I, I knew the brain of trauma, but but I really started to appreciate that changing those behaviors are also helping change the physical structure of our brain. So a lot of people um, who pass someone experiencing homelessness can kind of just think about, well, why don't you get up your butt and go get a job, right? That you know, and then that is if your community has enough affordable housing, which isn't the 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 default for a lot of cities that right. I travel around to. And I think we have to, as, as we've come to appreciate trauma's impact on the brain and behavior, we also have to understand that, you know, to really support new behaviors, for that person to get up and eventually get back in the job market, be permanently housed, being that tax-paying citizen that we all seem to care uh, so much about is that there's got to be a lot of neurobiology uh, and the great things brains, that neuroplasticity exists. But, again, if, if they stay in survival mode, we can't really expect them to do these big behavioral changes. So as, as I like to say from, uh, uh, you know, my work as a therapist, if, if they don't have housing, food security, if they're in a domestic violence situation, Mm -hmm. um, if they're struggling, I'm going to case manage them to help bring safety into their life. So eventually they're able to have enough psychological safety with me, physical safety in their environment. So they can really sit and contemplate some of these big changes, which, which if you've ever faced a big major change in your life, you know, it scares you. Again, a lot of these folks are facing multiple, uh, you know, I have this activity in my training as I have, let's list the changes our folks are facing. And and boy, that, that half of the paper fills up, you know, there's no problem filling that side up. And what are the barriers? No problem. I mean, it's the quickest activity you can do because it just, it gets done. So, so as we have grown our compassion for those with, uh, as I like to say, untreated trauma and that impact on them, you know, I, I think that it also really, the neurobiology informs how we see people facing the, these big life changes. And again, hopefully helps us have empathy and compassion and patience to say, hey, just this person contemplating change is a big first step. And, and we know with MI, if we're pushing action but they're still in contemplation. That's where resistance and the break of the relationship often happens. So, so that, the, the myth is people just can't, you know, occasionally there's always outliers, but you just can't wake up one day and decide to change your whole life that your brain needs to catch up and really yeah. support the new behavior while kind of weaning itself off some of that, that old behavior as well. Right.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And I think about, you know, when I had panic attacks, I couldn't logically think my way into a different reaction. I had to go through one, the healing part of it and processing, yeah. you know, through EMDR. And then two, I had to go through then what you just talked about, the brain plasticity of, of changing habitual patterns and, and changing those, um, you know, I like to think of it, I, I was stuck in these ruts in my brain of yes. these patterns. And so when I started to step outside my comfort zone and create new habits, and new ways of responding and reacting, then I started to create new neuron pathways.
1: Uh, absolutely, yeah, and in the old behavior, I, I compare it, especially when we talk about addiction or those highly ingrained behaviors, like a super highway of neurons in your brains. But you know that old neb uh, principle of what wires together fires together, and so the new behaviors, like if you you know coming out to Colorado, I heard in a previous episode you went out to Estes Park. If you just decided in Rocky Mountain National Park just to go walk any which way, get all, go off trail and walk, it, it's very slow process, and so. I like to compare that again another analogy but when we start that new behavior it's like hiking off trail eventually if we we practice it enough it'll become a trail then maybe a sidewalk then a backcountry road and eventually we're, we're shifting where the old behavior becomes smaller and weaker the new behavior becomes the the new stable behavior so but that that, that doesn't happen overnight and i think if we can look at our own experiences of change and say how, how we've struggled, hopefully we can give empathy and, and understanding that none of that's going to happen in, in the vast majority of cases if physical safety is, is at all threatened because all of our energy is going to go uh, to surviving whatever threats are, are in our environment. So that's where getting people in housing, get, getting people the resources – they need are those critical first steps, uh, for healing and change to really, uh, ever occur.
0: Yes, absolutely. And beautiful again. (laughs)
1: Thanks.
0: (laughs) I love it. I can say amen and hallelujah to all of that. So, (laughs) all right. um, so another question that I had, and I I just want to throw this one out because it's my fun and I throw it in randomly. Um, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, to help you with your mission who would it be
1: oh wow i I, i've listened to your podcast so so i knew this was coming (laughs) and i was like just say oprah man just say (laughs) oprah because oprah gets it you know i when she came out with that 60 minutes episode i just start bawling like i'm an emotional guy anyway but it's like did she just like quadruple how many times more people now have heard of aces and and got to see bruce perry and and so boy it would just be easy say oprah but but i i will uh go there and say i would love to meet president trump um and and i I say that um and i won't get political here i'll just cringe and hold it deep inside um but but i i really want to believe that um, those of a political, uh, okay, I'm going to dance on difficult water here. Those of a political persuasion that really believe that, that the person experiencing homelessness is just lazy, that, that you know, there's just, you know, all these issues are just in the individual is, I believe where we're, we're really at in this movement is we need it to be at the national policy level. Um, we need to figure out ways to get into the offices of our elected officials. And, and hey, if you can get a school board member, this is why I tell the teachers who are like, "How do I do this?" There's only one of me in 30. It's like, well, what if 20 people in your school called a school board member for coffee and talked about this? You know, so our advocacy is every which way. But if you're going to let me dream, I want to go straight to the top, <laughs> and, and I want to throw a bunch of neuroscience out there. I, I think what I love about the science of epigenetics neurobiology you know all the things about our nervous system is it it takes it off as it really concrete as something happened to this person and and showing the biological injury so so i I always like a good challenge so i'd love to get trump and mitch in a room and and ted cruz in a room and say hey i think we share some of the same values in life um you know, and grant call me whatever the secular humanist, whatever the heck that is. I'll I'll take whatever hippie thing you want to call me. <laughs> but but let's let's get to the science and say, okay, does our current policy make sense based on this really hard, well-established science of the neurobiological, biological impacts of trauma? So I, I want to believe because I've had this experience over and over. Is when we get the science, our compassion and empathy. Goes up, so you know if I could be in a room with those people that have their their the ability to change policy and not do some of the things that often make the problem worse, um, I, I would I would take that that in a heartbeat uh, and try to maintain my emotional regulation during that experience. <laughs> so there, there I'm stepping away from the political of this. I just well, should have said Oprah, but
0: <laughs> great answer, I loved it. And Thank you, know what, you. What popped into my head was as you said that. I've seen on Facebook a number of times, you know, like a quote that somebody puts out, but it shows the a four, a picture of four different brains and underneath each brain, it says, you know, like ADHD, PTSD. Um, I, I forget
1: what the other ones. fresh injuries is usually in there, addiction, yeah.
0: Yes. And so, and how different those brains look. And so you think about, there cannot be this cookie cutter approach, you know, of, of everybody being, you've got to take a look at, and I think it all comes down to trauma. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, Abs- absolutely. The, you know, and, and if we can heal the, the trauma, it, it's not for a lot of folks because they've been living with, again, like, like the running back. If if you don't get treatment for a broken leg for 10 years, healing's not going to happen just because you now have a permanent living situation. That's a part of it. But I think really helping people understand who they're creating policies around. And, and I, I do this with helping organizations, medical clinics, schools. So, so we've got a lot of work still to do um, in the helping, healing professions. But, boy, I, I just see, like you said, I mean, here's a biological injury. Um, and if you start to look at it as an injury, uh, because we wouldn't blame the running back for a defensive lineman hitting and breaking a leg, um, are we going to blame a child for experiencing abuse or, or poverty? Huh? Or neglect. And it's not the kid's fault, but it is, I believe, our, our society's fault now that we have this information that we don't get that kid the help they need. And then we label them homeless, criminal, addict uh, later on in life. And I think every person, um, for the for the most part, that ends up in our prison systems, ends up in our substance abuse, as a, uh, ends up in our shelters as adults, is is a, a failure of all of us. And now we have the science to really to to look at that in a whole different way and ask, okay, based on neurobiology, right, brain science, uh, what what can we do to to really mitigate some of these uh, issues that are impacting our communities? And and what an exciting time to live in that we we have this. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, my my thing. Some people get surprised at this is how. Uh, I see trauma informed care or, or trauma sensitive schools as part of my advocacy work it's a, to me it 's as much as a social justice issue, even more so I think it 's more of a social justice issue than it 's a, it's a clinical issue. I think it 's both, but if, if we don 't have policies that in our communities, how, how, how do we expect organizations to do trauma informed care? How, how can that one teacher with thirty third graders create a trauma sensitive classroom and meet the needs? of her students experiencing trauma and and the answer is until our policies catch up we're we're going to be fighting an uphill battle which we've made a lot of progress going up a big mountain but you know I'm I'm hoping we bring more people um, into that climb and and really address some of the the policies that you know keep people stuck in, in these really difficult life situations
0: yes and 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 again i come back to this book you have coming out. The the sooner we can get a hold of these kiddos yeah. to help them. Oh my gosh, what a huge impact that's going to be uh, further down the road.
1: Yeah, and, and and maybe I can get kids initially or or people to care about kids first, right? Right. I, right. Walk by the the person that's. You know, You know, and, and strung out on the sidewalk. And are they dead? I know, I want them to have compassion for that person too. But I'm I'm also very realistic. And I, you know, to me, the the book about schools is my upstream solution. My contribution to an upstream solution for homelessness, addiction, um, poverty, criminal justice reform. You know, now now it doesn't seem like that on the surface. But for every kid we get the help to, it's one less kid that's going to end up hopefully in a shelter. Um, or, or in those hard, hard situations, yeah. which are so life threatening for so many.
0: Right. And you know, it's, I, I got a little teary eyed for just a second because it, it made me think about, and I've talked about this on the podcast, but a long time ago, and I, I just want to say it again, when I was involved in a, two bank robberies and during this by the same people, like they didn't get caught the first time. And then they came back three months later, Jeez. Oh, well, during the first one, the, the man held the gun to my head. Um And then when he came back in the second one, he pulled the trigger and murdered one of my coworkers. Well, I remember when I finally came to a point of forgiveness for the, for this, you know, assailant. Um, and, and I've written about it in my book and, and, and other places. I, I, I've, I I've had this realization that he and I were both born these innocent little creatures, these mm-hmm. little babies. Yeah. and, Somewhere along the way, I don't know his story. I don't know what happened to him along his journey. And again, I get very choked up about it because my heart hurts for him because not that I'm making excuses for the choices that he made, but somewhere he was broken Mm -hmm. and he then went down this dark path and then chose to pull that trigger. And so that's where I say, oh my God, if there had been something in place to help this boy, yeah. Before he got to that place.
1: Abs- absolutely. And, and, and Wow, thanks for sharing. That's powerful. And yes. yeah, and, and it's, it's, I think it is difficult because, you know, I, we, we had a, a, a really good thinker in the criminal justice system. If you're, if you're going to try to figure out that behavior, like what gets somebody to a place in their life of desperation or, or greed or, or whatever it is to, to do such a horrible act explain that. And, and if you, if you ask that to a neurobiologist, they kind of shrug. I I mean, because we have to have so much information on, we almost have to have a perfect amount of information on that individual. And then there's still gaps in our knowledge. And I just think, yeah, yeah. Why, why, what happened to that person. And it takes so much patience on your part to, 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 and, and just love for, for humanity in the world to, to get to that place of, of being harmed. And, and, you know, but if we can get there, you know, like I said, I hope and, and every time there's, you know, and being married to an educator, I, I mean, this is so real, a school shooting or, or now shooting seem to happen at, you can't go to a movie without looking for, for the exit or a concert or driving down the freaking road. And you you know, it's just like, you know, and everybody comes out mental health. And I just want to say, yeah, yeah, let's, let's run with that. I, I have my personal opinions on, you know, machine guns being available for purchase in our community. But yeah, let, let's what are we going to do about that mental health crisis that, that we have? And, and my, my hopefully my answer is, let's get the, the people that are injured by trauma, the help they need when they need it. So we don't deal with this. And maybe trauma accounts for 90% of, of that kind of extreme behavior. Maybe it's 60%, but but it's it's somewhere, you know, be it living in Denver with Columbine and the Aurora shootings. And you know, we had a young lady come in from Florida with obvious mental illness things oh, and wow. bought a gun and shut down the entire Metro Area School District um and she ended up killing herself i mean what what's happening to these people and why why aren't we getting them the help they need and it seems like we agree with that politically but you know it it, mental health doesn't magically show up in schools it it needs it needs funding support uh to, to really do this but there's so many reasons why and i hope that we like stories like you and doing what you do uh, boy, if we can just get it out to a hundred more people, a thousand more people, and maybe they tell. Uh, my challenge after my trainees is tell someone about this. That that's why, I, like, I hope one of my analogies stick, and you can go tell your your husband, maybe maybe your kids, uh, uh, your neighbor, a family member, you know, because the, once we get a uh, hopefully enough people on this topic, we'll we'll really see the uh, change in policy and funding. Too. So so we don't have to ask those those same horrible questions. I mean, there's there's a fix to to this, and that's the exciting time we live in. And yeah, good for you for finding that love and and compassion and forgiveness. I'm sure that that was that was a heck of a journey on your. Thank
0: you. And it was. You know, I think I realized it when I I checked on him every now and then in prison. I would just get on and make sure he was still in. (laughs) Um, He had gotten you know the death penalty, but that was he never was put to death, but I just wanted to make sure he wasn't back out, and yeah. so I couldn't find him in the system, and yeah. I was like, "Oh my God, he's not in the system." So eventually, I got a hold of you know a, um, someone that a family friend who was uh, in Washington D.C. and had a little bit of clout, and they got a hold of the prison, and then the prison called me, and I and they said, "Oh, well, he just died three weeks ago." you know, mm-hmm. in prison. And I'm not kidding when I say I fell to my knees and just sobbed for him and, you know, was like, God, I hope he, f- I hope he found forgiveness. Like, I hope he was, a- and I knew then I was like, all right, I've reached a place of forgiveness with this person absolutely. and knew that I had, and it was such a, re- like just a release off my yeah. shoulder. So
1: absolutely, absolutely,
0: more people can get to that point because don't carry that burden. It's, it's heavy
1: absolutely and, and it's this, and this is where you know a, a part of my thinking the the restorative justice stuff and giving different ways to look at how do we, we as a community address some of these behaviors I, I mean there's some people like th- this example that that need to be taken out of society and, and we've we've kind of failed to the point where it's no longer safe, but yeah. it's like how can we as a community come around and and really you know, really address the these real issues. And it's like we, we have the motivation and the angst and the anger and the sadness for for about three days and then, you know, it, it goes wow. away from the next yeah. one. And, and I think it's on, on I think the listeners to the podcast, how do we we make it sticky? And if that's like I said, reaching out to to a school board member or, you know, I think we sometimes give up our power and our frustration and our news, cable news watching. But it's like you know, you, you get seven or eight people calling uh, a school board member. They'll have coffee with you. And, you know, you, you introduce trauma-sensitive schools or trauma-informed care. They may not go change everything. But as I like to tell people, you're planting the seed. Yes. The next time they hear it, they'll be like, oh. So there's moment. Politicians, they like rep- repetition, right? And and I think if, if even if you're the one that plant the seed that doesn't grow right away, um, you you never know where the wind's going to blow that sucker. Wind, water, and dirt are going to hit it, and it could grow into something uh, really beautiful too. Yeah,
0: I love what you said. Just keep bringing it up. Keep bringing it up because yeah, uh, right. Eventually, they're going to go. Oh, I think I I think I heard Dr. Bruce Perry in Oprah talking about that.
1: <laughs> so- yeah, that that's, that that is yes. As as I, I made a wish a few years ago before Oprah came out uh, on our podcast, like, well, what are, you know, we kind of this New Year thing where it's like. Well, if one thing could have, if you could have that magic wand and wave it, what what would you do? And it's like I, I just went, I, and I went with George Clooney. I didn't even think we could get Oprah. And you know the the fact that Oprah and Bruce are best friends now, and that's you know what what a what a powerful way to to get it out there. And again, let's let's build on that momentum because again, it's going to take a lot of us uh, going in there because people can watch a 60 minutes episode for, and forget about it the next day too. So, uh, like I said, though, if, if we're, we're a bunch, I love your uh, hashtag trauma warrior. Uh, I I love that. I love that. Uh, you know, Oprah gave us a gift, right? So let's get that trauma warrior hat on and, uh, go take advantage of the, the door that she's opened for us. Um, because yeah. She, we're not all Oprah, but the, the real work gets done at the community level as well. Yes.
0: I just was going to, you took the word out of my mouth, like that grassroots level is, is yeah, yeah. we just keep yeah. moving
1: with it. So wonderful. Absolutely.
0: So how do people get a hold of you if they want you for a speaking engagement or to just to get in touch with you, see your website?
1: Yeah. So connectingparadigms.org. paradigms.org. Um, your, your, little box will pop up, um, uh, social media. I'm trying social media. I, I, I'm working hard. Uh, you know, so, um, that, that gives you, uh, all the updates on my writings, podcasts, blogs, uh, my, my travels across the country, uh, talking about the passion. So yeah, connectingparadigms.org uh, we'll get, we'll get you all that information and, uh, also let you know when that, when that book hits the shelf. So, uh, I'm hoping by the end of this month it will be up and the audiobooks soon to follow. So
0: awesome. So it's not available for pre-order yet.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I was gonna do that, but but Amazon kind of is is touchy. They they want only ebooks up uh, for pre-order. So I'm just I I don't know. I, what I learned from Connecting Paradigms is there's something about us where we love to hold books. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what, like I, I didn't know yet, but it's like everybody wants to hold the book. Um, so I'm just going to get it all out at once uh, with that. So I, awesome. I figured, those folks will get mad at me if they can't hold the book they gotta hold <laughs> I'm like, well, you can hold it in your phone or your e-reader and it's really easy to take notes and nope I gotta hold the book so oh for all you gosh. people out there I'm, I'm not gonna make you like wait so it all it all drop uh, at once with the audiobook soon to follow I'm
0: gonna so crack you up for a minute because I'm gonna move my camera and just show you
1: there it is yep
0: my <laughs> file <laughs> um yeah, because I'm the whole the book girl. And I have yeah. I, I mean I do read on my Kindle, um, you know, and I and I have yeah. it. I know I learned how to highlight on my Kindle, but I love my books.
1: Yeah, I I, I know that's I, I say well the ebook you can do nope it's <laughs> I need the print book so I, I did that with Connecting Paradigms um, and you know I, I actually uh, was able to do it uh, through a, a, with a publishing company where I could actually just offer it pre pre order for a, a vastly reduced price and half the people that bought the the ebook version uh didn't know they they thought they were buying the actual book you uh. know fairly clearly stated that it <laughs> was used to an ebook book file and oh they were they were upset well <laughs> oh, i want the real so I, i'm gonna just throw drop it all at once so all you people that need to hold books still uh you'll gotcha. be able to hold it in your hand and uh you know it, it's fun too because i you know i played basketball throughout college and And it's been so many years since anybody asked me for an autograph. I wasn't even that good at basketball. So, you know, it's like, and now people like bring the book up and it's like, oh, so it's it's that, that fun dopamine release that, that I get. Yes. So. That's
0: fun. And I was just going to say that to you. That pile right there is actually from podcast guests that I said, oh, you know, can I buy an autographed copy? I mean, some of them, you know, sent them to me as a gift. But, yeah, I love having the autographed signed copy. All right. I'll
1: keep that in mind. All right.
0: That's right. I'll send you we'll a little you, email.
1: Yes, please do. We'll put you on the list, Get you, get you a All copy right. for but sure.
0: Yay! I'm excited. So good.
1: Awesome. Well,
0: is there anything else you want to touch upon that we didn't we didn't talk about?
1: You know, the one thing I always uh, like to just throw out there because I, I think sometimes with, with the Aces studies and we, we miss, I think, the biggest piece of all of this, and that's that's our own self care. Um, if you're if you're in the field field of healing, um, uh, helping others, uh, whether it's healthcare education. Social work. I mean, we're dominating the top five. I, I just saw new research out physicians, one nurses two, social workers, three um, teachers and principals four and five. And we, we can talk about trauma, we can nerd out about the brain um, <laughs> and do all this stuff. But but when I have really come to the conclusion that if, if we're not healthy, we're doing harm at this point. It, you know, there's no reason why your healers, physicians and nurses should be one and two of the most out people. As I like to say, I want to make it real for you. If you pack a, a stadium in your community full of all the different professionals and you wanted to find the most ill people based on profession, you'd call physicians up first. Like just think wow. what, what's – What's wrong with us when our, our, our healers, at least from the medical perspective, are the most uh, mentally impacted by the work? A- AMA said 50% are experiencing severe uh, uh, symptoms of burnout, which means I don't want them as my physician because I know that that makes you, you're now in that reactive mode. Nurses, social workers, teachers. Uh, so I, I really think that the, the trauma movement, yeah, it's about the care. It's about... It's about the trauma-sensitive schools, uh, motivational interviewing, EMDR, all these trauma-sensitive yoga, trauma-sensitive mindfulness. We have all these beautiful things, but we really have to prioritize our own self-care. I like to say if there's one thing you take away from from this podcast, I know I'm just dropping it at the end here, but you are the role model for wellness. Um, If you want to be, listen to and call yourself a healer, your number one priority is is to yourself because people come in looking for hope. They come in looking that tomorrow can be better than yesterday, and if we're burned out or vicarious secondary trauma it's over. And, and the, the bigger thing you just scope that out is, what's their experience in your organization? What do they feel when they walk through your door? Um, because, you know, if you want to know, and a lot of these helping organizations, the most important person, it's not the trauma trained therapist, it's the front desk person checking you in. And, you know, to, so to think about our health and wellness as the starting point, uh, because we can't do this work. And we put ourselves at medical, psychological, social risk as well when we don't prioritize our own self-care. So think of yourself as an athlete or a musician, someone who prepares for the performance of healing, uh, because we got to get our butts out of the top five categories. And mental health folks, we're we're there, our police, our first responders. So people that others look to for hope and healing, we're the most messed up people in our community. And so- we got some work to do, and if we're being police officers, I've worked with police departments. Their stories, uh, I, I just just astound me, and yet we're beating them significantly. So, right. uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you got to take care of yourself uh, first. Uh, we've got to start prioritizing that if we care about delivering quality services. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I always like to end to make sure I squeeze that in because self care is quality care.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you touched on one more thing, and I'm just going to extend it for a minute.
1: Oh, please do! I can talk about this all day, my friend.
0: Well, that's what I was just going to say when you said the, you know, um, uh, vicarious secondary trauma. Huge! I mean, we could do a whole podcast episode on that. Absolutely. Because and explain, if you don't mind, just for a second, you know that impact because I think that's a very critical part of it is what that's what's happening.
1: Absolutely. So, so really quickly, we know that, that you can think of emotions like viruses um, that get spread from person to person. So when we work, in, and i got a great uh, physician friend of mine, Dr. Deborah Bourne, who works uh, in a healthcare care for the homeless clinic in San Francisco. She talks about those emotions, the, the hopelessness, the anxiety, the depression. Um, all those really negative emotions that that we work with every day is the fire we signed up to walk into so so that's part part of our job but the the whole thing is that now that we know and we got we got some i've seen brain scan evidence of this also we can get diagnosed for post traumatic stress disorder with right. the only identifiable trauma being our work um, is that trauma is also contagious so vicarious trauma I like to talk about it's it's really that that experience of walking through traumatic experiences with people that you care about people that you're trying to help and and their trauma especially if we can't jump in and fix the situation because the teacher knows that kid's in danger going home at night Um, the person working with the, the intimate partner violence victim doesn't know if that person's going to be okay is is the person who's not ready to stop using opiates are they going to overdose i mean this is what we deal with for some of my folks i I work with and in my past that's our monday morning right Right. that's we we haven't got to lunch yet and that's that's what we're worried about and then secondary trauma and my thinking is when like vicarious trauma kind of happens over time secondary trauma is when we can get re-traumatized um sometimes with trauma that we may not have fully healed from and I like to say you may be healed to a place you can go 90, 90, 90% of the other jobs out there and be fine but this work if you got a little crack still left it'll come and do a jig on that crack and so it can re-traumatize us from our own past experiences. Um, I, I use the examples that I'm, I'm a survivor of sexual assault as a child myself and it was really easy for me to work with um, victims of sexual assault, um, children's I work with in child welfare system but I tell you what, I, I, I there was just this when I worked with my first uh, perpetrator of sexual assault, I I, I felt all that uh, energy that I experienced during my abuse. It almost I, I can say it rose up from my stomach, and I was trying to like push it down and push it down, and it just like I, I was able to end the session and just overwhelmed me. And so I like to think secondary traumas. We can just get so hurt uh, by our work, and sometimes it may not be our own trauma in that way, but it's just the relationship and that we care about other people. So, you know, on top of the burnout, we also have this work can, can really screw you up if you're not careful. Um, yeah. It can traumatize you. And, you know, you, you look at the, the teachers, social workers who aren't just leaving their jobs, they're leaving the profession. Um, and in my experience, we're a lot of times losing some of the really good people. Um, because they're just saying, I, c- I can go do something less stressful, make more money. Um, and, and again, they just don't want to put up with uh, sometimes the dysfunctional organizations and other things. So again, that's where we've got to prepare ourselves to go in that fire each and every day. We still might get burned every once in a while. But knowing if we do get burned, there's nothing wrong with us. That, that, that we're just a human being who cares about other people. And uh, so so that's where both the, the proactive self-care comes in so importantly, sleep, diet, exercise, mindfulness, uh, uh, you know, all those key things, using therapy, social connections. And then when we do experience some of this, that we kind of know our triggers and we take immediate action uh, so we don't go down the spiral of burnout. And, you know, as I say cancer, heart disease, uh, diabetes, stroke, uh, early onset, Alzheimer's. There's an ugly end to this, my friends. You (laughs) you know, it's ugly. You do not want to go there, and it shouldn't be the price you pay for dedicating to to your life to helping others heal. Uh, Because if you're riddled with disease, you're you're not going to be that healer for other people.
0: Right. Yes. And again, amen and hallelujah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for letting me squeeze that in because I always – Dude, none of this matters if we're burned out you know, and we, we lose these opportunities um, both with the individuals we're working with and trying to help, but also, you know, if we're, if we're going to change our society to have a trauma sensitive society, we, we better be at our best because uh, we need that juice to, to take us over the line.
0: You know? Yeah, for sure. I'm a big energy fan. And I think, you know, yeah. the energy we put out is, you know, that's what people are picking up on. And if we're giving off that burned out energy, yeah. Whereas if we're if we're giving off the energy of being healed ourselves or in the healing process, yes, uh, yeah,
1: and they feel it right. A lot of people, especially if they've been surviving, uh, you know, harsh life situations, they know. And, and again, it's 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 very unconscious for a lot of folks. They know when something's not right. Yeah. Um, they they know. Now they're not going to tell you, "Wow, you seem burned out today." Uh, you, you know, it might be really hard for them to put it. A lot of people put that into words, but they will just. They've survived by having a sense something's not right here. And I I think we lose a lot of people to care or maybe today was the day they were going to talk in about engaging in trauma treatment or substance abuse counseling. And if they've had they're not getting that that feeling, that energy from us, um, we can we can do harm in that environment. So I, I like to challenge people every day, have some reminder somewhere of why you're going to work. Why, why are you showing up? Because it's the people that lost the why that I really worry about. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom, your dashboard on your car, put like write it on your forehead before you go to bed at night, something, something where you know why you're showing up and what energy you want to give people. Like I, it's, you know, and who knows what this, I could nerd out about quantum physics on this. I think there's a science behind it, but I like to go in and say, What energy do I want to give this person? What do I want them to walk away with? Knowing my emotions are also contagious as well, we could we could we could woo woo out about that. Oh yeah, forty five minutes. But (laughs) then I have to bring out non locality of quantum particles, and then then you probably people would just like go to sleep. So
0: right, (laughs) it's so true, you know. And I'll end on the fact that one of my nicknames is glitter shitter, so I just. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what I remind myself. Yeah, I got to go out into the world and do some glitter shit
1: or some stuff. I, so. <laughs> between that and hashtag Trauma Warrior, my friend, you, you got some trademarking to do. If you have, you, you need to trademark that real quick. Because somebody like guys I'm going to steal that real quickly. So. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I love crazy. it. I, I will credit you with the glitter. <laughs> sh- for, for, for the rest <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Matt, it was awesome having you here on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And again, uh, uh, I, I saw you online uh, looking for some folks and, and got into the several episodes before coming on. I just want to thank you for your work. Like I said, any media we can use, any way we can use to spread. And then folks like you, um, you know, supporting people in their, their learning journey, because You know, when I learned about the ACE study, uh, it's been like 18 years ago now, there wasn't a whole lot out there. We didn't even have podcasts at that time. And I think, you know, I just, I think people are so fortunate now that they can, they can get a look at this and then, you know, what you're doing, what I'm trying to do with the Trauma-Informed Lens podcast, you know, that you've got like 80 plus hours of stuff. We have, I think we have almost hit a hundred hours of recording. You know, there's just so much people can now now learn so any all the support that you give folks and their continued learning is you know again if we're ever going to reach the top of the mountain and really integrate this into that we're trauma-sensitive societies or whatever word we use at that point um you know i just i want to thank you for your work and uh being a big push uh to to this uh big mountain we both tried to climb
0: thank you so very much that made my day week month (laughs) (laughs) awesome (laughs) Um, and yeah, in your energy, I just adore, I just think it's amazing and I just want to feed off of it. So if you're ever in Cincinnati, let me know because I'm just going to be in the front row of
1: the audience. I I definitely will. Definitely will. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye.